The University of Florida College of Medicine is accredited by the Accreditation Council for Continuing Medical Education, ACCME, to provide continuing medical education for physicians. The University of Florida College of Medicine designates this enduring material for a maximum of 0.25 AMA PRA Category 1 credit. Physicians should claim only the credit commensurate with the extent of their participation in this activity. There's so much buzz about the new wearable technology that can monitor heart health. And here to tell us why that matters is my guest, Dr. Michael Masumi. He's an interventional cardiologist at the University of Florida, and he practices at UF Health Shands Hospital in Gainesville. Dr. Masumi, I'm so glad to have you with us. This is such a great topic. As personal health tech is already common, independently at home, sleep studies, Holter monitors, Please tell us about this new wave of wearable monitoring devices. What are you seeing? Very excited to talk about this. You know, right now, somewhere around 13% of the people in the United States have a smartwatch, and I have a special interest in trying to incorporate use of these devices in daily clinical care in the clinic. And so uh, I'm seeing a wide variety. I'm seeing patients who wear the devices and don't really know much about what they can do for them. And I see other patients on the other end of the spectrum who use these devices to try to monitor their activity levels or who come to me stating that they got an irregular rhythm notification and they want to know what it means. It really is amazing what's happening today. So what are some of the various metrics that can be obtained from a smartwatch and what are the most important ones to track? Right now, we can obtain a wide variety of data and it, it's, it's available on different devices. And it can be, you know, the common devices these days being Fitbits, Garmin's, Apple Watches, and a few other ones. And some of the basic information can be obtained on any of those. And so one of the common ones is energy expenditure or just kind of general activity level. And that's probably one of the ones where I'm most careful. And the studies that we have, which try their best to validate this information, show that there's a lot of variability. And so energy expenditure, for example, would be the metric that tries to show how many calories a patient has burned in a given day or with a given activity. And what we find when we try to control using calorimetric studies is that these devices are very, uh, there's a lot of variability in what they present. And they typically are overestimating the energy expenditure, sometimes uh, at, a, at a margin of around 25%. So I'm always really cautious when it comes to energy expenditure. Uh, I try to specifically tell patients not to use the information about how many calories they've burned to make any dietary decisions, because I think that sort of leads you down a dangerous path of probably weight gain. But I do think it's important to look at that because the trends can still be meaningful. So don't focus too much on what the exact number is, I burned this many calories, but over time, if that's going up, then that's probably a good indication that you've become more active. Well, certainly it is. And so as far as heart conditions, what can it help to possibly detect whether it's AFib or O2 saturation, blood pressure, diabetes, glucose levels? I mean, we're hearing so much today, doctor. Tell us what heart conditions it can help with. Uh, most of these watches now, even the, the base models that start around a price point of, of around $100, they have heart rate detection, and they do that using a pleth. And so that's not ECG, that's just using the, the pleth signal like we would do with the pulse ox in the hospital to measure heart rate. 
Um, most of the watches don't do oxygen saturation, but we can use the PLETH and get pretty accurate data on heart rate. And so they've done a few different studies looking at the accuracy of the information. And it turns out most of the smartwatch devices are pretty accurate, typically between 5 or 10% of the values that we would obtain if we did a simultaneous ECG, which is kind of the reference standard for heart rate. And so what this is telling us is that using a PLETH-based heart rate sensor is an accurate way to have a a watch on what somebody's heart rate is doing. And so there's an additional area which is even more exciting, and that's limited right now to the Apple Watch Series 4 and now the newly released Series 5, which offer the same uh, health features. And the really neat thing there is that there's two big health features that are available only on those devices and not on any others today. Number one would be fall detection, which is a neat algorithm that the device uses uh, joining the accelerometer with other sensors to determine if someone has had what it feels like is a an unplanned uh, descent, right? Uh, a dangerous fall. And then it'll give you a notification and say, did you fall? Are you okay? And if you say, yes, I'm okay, then it dim dismisses it. If you don't respond to the, to the notification, it will assume that you have fallen and are either unconscious or unable to get up, and it can automatically call 911. And so that's a really nice feature, especially in the elderly population. And then the second feature, which I'm most excited about, would be its ability to detect atrial fibrillation and do single lead ECG recording. And so I'll just try to clarify a portion of this here. So you can use an Apple Watch Series 1, 2, 3, 4, or 5 to do pleth-based heart rate detection, and it can apply the algorithm to try to determine irregular heart rhythms. And that's what they did with the heart, Apple Heart Study, which is a great study, big, big study, looking at the ability of a watch that the common folks are wearing to detect AFib. The Series 4 and Series 5 really add on to that by improving the accuracy because now if you get a notification that says you have an irregular rhythm, you can immediately on the watch take a single lead ECG recording which can then confirm or, uh, or show that maybe it was artifact that this is atrial fibrillation. And so I think that's just groundbreaking and it's, it's something that so many patients already are wearing and with the growth of these devices, it's only gonna become more and more common. Well, absolutely it is. And as you say, really it is amazing what they're doing with this technology. Do you feel that it might cause false positive tests, which could cause unnecessary tests and anxiety for patients if they notice something or they question something? Do you think that it can maybe not always be terrific as far as that? It's a very good point that you bring up, and and you know certainly there's there's a difference in patients, right? There are some patients that are highly anxious, and and it could be anxiety provoking for them, and then and then you know not the case in other patients. Um, I think this this is a a good time to kind of discuss our responsibility as physicians in educating ourselves about this information, so that when patients do come to us we feel comfortable enough to look at their phone, to look at their tracings, and help make sense out of this. Now, as far as false positives, I can share some specific data that came from the Apple Heart Study. And in that study, they basically had a, a good level of positive predictive value. So there was an 84% positive predictive value for patients having an irregular rhythm notification on their watch for them to have had AFib at the same time. So these were patients that were wearing the watch and wearing an event monitor at the same time to validate. And so 84% of the time that the watch said 
this is an irregular rhythm, that was indeed atrial fibrillation. And so that's a good number to, to know. And then also I think we should, uh, we should account for the fact that this was done only up to the Series 3 device. And the Series 4 and 5 devices, which are becoming more and more common, actually allow patients to take an ECG right then. And so that would increase your sensitivity and specificity, I don't want to say to 100% because the tracings can have artifact, but to the highest level that we can really obtain, obtain aside from doing a 12-lead ECG. And so what I have patients do is I say, for those who have a 4 or 5 watch, I say, if you get an irregular rhythm notification, I want you to take a recording on your watch immediately. And then when they come in and show me those recordings, then I can confirm, okay, this is atrial fibrillation. And as far as I'm concerned, if they show me a recording from their watch and it looks like a clean recording and I see atrial fibrillation, I will use that as diagnostic information to put AFib in their chart and to start them on anticoagulation if it's indicated. Wow. But since this is a healthcare device, do you see approval being needed from federal regulators? I mean, if you're going to be using it as a diagnostic criterion, then do you think that there will have to be some sort of regulation? What's going on in that department? The ECG portion of the watch is actually FDA approved for single lead ECG recording. And really what it comes down to is us being aware of it and recognizing it and, and actually using the information that's there. It's low-hanging fruit. This information is already there. We just have to start using it. Absolutely. As we wrap up, doctor, and what an interesting topic, how do you feel this will transform patient care. Tell us where you see the clinical application of this data for other providers and really what you'd want them to know about the accuracy, the metrics, and using this wearable technology with their patients. A few points that I would try to share with people listening is that we can use this information um, on, on practically a daily basis. I mean, part of my physical exam when patients come in has become to look at their wrist and see if they have a smartwatch. And if they do, I ask for their telephone and I will review their health-related apps. I look at their activity level. And if I notice that their step count is on the lower side, I try to encourage them to make reasonable goals and to increase it. And I show them how to look at it so they can track their progress. So that's one good use. I look at their heart rate data and I try to see if they have any strange outliers to suggest that there might be some kind of a, an underlying dysrhythmia. I look if, a, if their watch provides that, if they have an Apple Watch, I look to see if they have any AFib notifications. And I even use it in patients who have known AFib, especially in the Apple Watch. It has different heart rate metrics and it can actually give you an average heart rate while walking. So the watch knows when you're walking and when you're still, and it will give you a separate heart rate average during times of walking, which is an important metric for heart rate control in patients who have AFib. And so I also will look at the resting heart rate, and I use the combination of those two pieces of data to titrate drugs like uh, metoprolol or cardizem that these patients are commonly going to be on for controlling their heart rate. So I think those are really, really great, easy uses for these devices. I also try to take a look at their sleep and just sort of touch on that and, and try to get a rough idea of how much they're sleeping and the quality of their sleep. We're learning more and more about sleep. I like to refer to sleep as the forgotten vital sign 
Uh, and, and I think there's just a lot of good correlation with sleep quality and chronic diseases and chronic inflammatory states. And we know that poor sleep is a risk factor for obesity, diabetes, and cardiovascular disease, including heart attack and stroke. And so I try to use that um, to open the door and, and refer people for sleep studies if I think it's appropriate. I think there are many, many uses that we can do right now. And then I think the door is just open for an expanding area here of more and more uses as we learn more about how to apply this information. I couldn't agree more, and thank you so much, Dr. Masumi, for joining us today and sharing your incredible expertise. What a fascinating topic. That concludes today's episode of UF Health Med EdCast with UF Health Shands Hospital. To learn more about this and other healthcare topics at UF Health Shands Hospital, please visit ufhealth.org slash medmatters to get connected with one of our providers. Please remember to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast and all the other UF Health Shands Hospital podcasts. For more health tips and updates on the latest medical advancements and breakthroughs, please follow us on your social channels. Until next time, I'm Melanie Cole.